Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship and to celebrate you. And Lord, now as we open up your word, as we open up what you have called us to talk about today, Lord, what you have called us to learn from your word, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be open to you. That our wills would be able to be molded by you. And Lord, above all, we pray that what we say in this place, what I say, will glorify your name. And that lives will be changed because of you and your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So today, the plan was that we were going to finish out our series on King Solomon. We had a four-week series planned, and we were going to finish that series today. But in light of what's happening in our nation, in light of what's happening in our world, the Lord led me this week in a different direction. I'll give you the spoiler alert for the Solomon series. We'll finish it at some other time, sometime down the road, when we've got a week that the Lord kind of gives us fit to do it. We'll do the lost sermon of Solomon. But I want to tell you that the spoiler is that it doesn't end well for Solomon. Somehow having a thousand wives and concubines that all, many of them have different idols and worship other gods did not end well. But today I want to shift gears just for a moment and probably for the next two to three weeks. In light of everything that's going on in our world, I want to focus a few minutes today about how we handle that. Specifically, today I want to talk about how do we handle the anxiety and the worry that comes in the midst of the pandemic. I saw a quote online this morning, and they didn't have it attributed to somebody, but I assume that it wasn't the person on Twitter's original quote because it sounds like something that's been said before. But it said this, Sometimes nothing happens in a decade, and sometimes a decade happens in a week. And I don't know about you, but for me, it feels like a decade has happened in the last week. It feels like that the world is changing almost moment by moment. It's hard not to be anxious. It's hard not to be worried. It's hard not to be overly concerned. And so today I want to look into God's Word. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me or open up your app. Or maybe somebody sitting there on the couch with you has got it for you. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to be looking today in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Now here's what I want to tell you. The reality is that if we allow it, if we allow the anxiety and the worry from all that is happening in our lives to weigh us down, it will. There's a verse that I thought of this week that I've read a couple of times in the last few days, and I just want us to think about it for a moment before we jump into Matthew chapter 6. And it's Proverbs 12:25, and it says this, Anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Here's my goal today. I realize that for those of us that are walking through this, which is all of us, that it is easy to allow anxiety and worry to weigh us down. My goal today is to be that good word from Scripture, from the words of Jesus, to help us to have our spirits lifted. Anxiety is a part of our lives. I read this statistic this week and it blew me away. But we are an anxious people. According to research, 
Every generation over the last 100 years, the people from one generation to the next have three times more likelihood to suffer from anxiety and depression than the previous generation. So over the last hundred years, every generation is three times more likely. So that means the second generation is nine times more likely. The next generation is 27 times more likely. The next generation is 81 times more likely. We are exponentially increasing our anxiety. I know that all of us have seen and been a part of this discussion to flatten the curve. And we've talked about exponential rising in cases of the virus. But according to all the statistics, anxiety and fear has been exponentially rising over the last few generations. And the reality is it starts very young as kids, as teenagers, when we worry what people will think about us. And we don't try not to, but we're worried about what that group thinks about us or that person thinks about us or how they view us. And as you grow into your teenage years, you begin to worry about school and about your grades and about getting into a certain school. And you get into a certain school and you worry about a job that you might get. And what kind of job would it be? And what kind of pay would that have? And am I going to get married? Is anybody going to like me enough to be able to marry me? And if I get married, am I going to stay married? And if I stay married, are we going to have children? And then if you have children, you begin to think, how are they going to turn out? And then you worry, that's not to mention finances and work and your future and your health and all of that begins to stack itself on top of each other. You begin to think through all the things in life that could go wrong, the what-ifs. You play the what-if game. What if I can't afford this? And because of that, it means we can't do that. And if we can't do that, what if we can't have that? What if I can't pay for my children to get into this program or to that program or for that school or for that place? What if we can't afford to have what we need, to live where we need in order to be where we need to be? We just keep piling it on. In my mind, I think of the anxieties of our lives almost like a backpack that we're ready to go hiking on a journey. And as we're getting ready to go hiking on a journey, we begin to just stuff it with unnecessary things that will cause us to be weighed down in the midst of our lives. And we worry about finances and control and jobs and family and children. And all of those things begin to just weigh on top of each other. And when our packs are already full and you add a global pandemic on top of it, some of us are at a place where the anxiety is overflowing. The pandemic comes, and we worry about the economy, and we see all these things shutting down, and how long can they shut down? And what about small businesses in our community? What about restaurants in our community? What about those places that were barely hanging on before this? Worry about jobs. Maybe you worry about your job. Maybe your job's already been impacted by what's happening in the economy. Maybe it's already taken a hit. Maybe your family's already taken a hit. And because of that, you're worried about the next month or the next two months. Or if this, this kind of quarantine and self-quarantine or shutdown gets worse or goes longer. What does that look like for us and our family and moving forward? And what about schoolwork? And what about finishing up? And, you know, there's a big push out there for the seniors uh, that are graduating this year. And, like, like how do we end up all of that well, how do we worry about that or take care of that? How has all that come together? You look at the pantry and what you not worry about, well, we've only got half a loaf of bread left. We'll be fine. Now you're starting to think, how do I plan to be there when not a lot of people are there? How can I get it? Or you get online to get food and you realize it's going to be three or four days before a grocery can even deliver something or have it ready to pick up. People with chronic diseases, what about my medicine? How often do I need to order it? When do I need to order it? Where does it need to go? 
And apparently the biggest concern for everybody out there is toilet paper. Where am I going to get toilet paper? How can I find it? How can I hoard it? We just continue to pile things on top of each other. Now, I know I said that my goal today is to be a good word. And right now, it just seems like all we've talked about is that difficulty that is weighing us down. But I want to go to a place where Jesus specifically talks about how to handle anxiety. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, says this. I'm just going to read the whole passage and then we're going to come down and break it down together with some things that will help us. Verse 25 says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than the food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so Jesus is here in chapter 6 of Matthew. It's in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking here about not letting our lives be weighed down, be troubled with worry. Now before we even kind of get into the, the specifics of this, we need to ask the question, what exactly is he talking about here? What does he mean by worry? Or maybe your Bible translation that you have at home says anxiety. What, what is he talking about particularly. You see, the Bible uses this particular word multiple times, and sometimes it's used in a positive way, and sometimes it's used in a negative way. Obviously, here in Matthew chapter 6, it's a negative thing. Worry is a negative thing, but there are other places where it talks about it in a way that might be good. For instance, Paul, in both Philippians 2 and 2 Corinthians 11, talks about the concern or the worry. It's the same word that he has for the churches of which he has been there and which he has ministered to. There is a difference, it seems, in Scripture between the concern of our hearts and worry in our hearts. So what are we talking about when we talk about that? You You can go to dictionary definitions or clinical definitions. And I'm not so much talking about those specific definitions today. What I want us to think about is this, that what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, is this, that worry is wrong, anxiety is wrong, when the concern that you are concerning about is misdirected, when it's in wrong proportion, it's in the wrong proportion to your life, and when it indicates a lack of trust in God. And just to be honest with you, the things that I am tempted with, with worry and anxiety about this illness, about this pandemic, about what's happening in our economy, about all those things out there, 
could easily slot into this area of misdirected concern, of out-of-proportion concern, of a lack of trust in God. And so the question is, so what does it look like not to do that? So what does it look like? And Jesus really gives us three things here that help us to kind of put our handles around, to get our minds around how we don't live in worry and why we don't live in worry. And the first thing that he says is a remarkable thing that is something we must all remember in every moment of our lives, particularly now, and it is this, that your life is worth more than anything this world offers. Your life is worth more than anything this world offers. Now to fully understand what's happening in these verses that we just read, Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34, we'll understand that we must understand where it sits in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, the longest teaching we have of Jesus, what is considered by most, including myself, the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus is there giving them instructions about how to live. And in the section just before this, what he says to them at the beginning of that is that they need to choose what they're going to seek. And he tells them that you've got a choice in life. You can store up treasures for yourself on earth, or you can store up treasures for yourself in heaven. And Jesus has commanded them, so don't store up yourself treasures on this earth. Don't store up things that rust and break and people come in and rob. But store up for for yourself treasures in heaven. And he says to them, and this is the point that he has in that whole part before this, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And I've told you before, if you've been around First Baptist, that I used to read that verse in a wrong way. I used to think that wherever my heart is, I will invest in the treasure of that. But the truth is what that scripture says, whatever it is you treasure, your heart will follow. Whatever it is you desire, whatever it is that you value, whatever it is you love, your heart will follow what you have invested in. And so Jesus tells them that. And then at the verses right before he says this about worry, he says, no one can serve two masters. You either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And he says, you cannot serve both God and money. So right before he talks about worry, he says to them, hey, listen, you got to choose God or money. And the questions that people are asking are, but we got to have money. We got to have stuff. We got to have stuff to live. And then he comes to the next verse and says, don't worry about your life. And he gives them three things not to worry about here. And this is what I find fascinating. He doesn't give them luxuries or things that they might be extra in their life. What does he tell them? He tells them that they should not worry about their food, drink, or clothing. In every society around the world, those three things are considered some of the very basic necessities of life. Now, in our culture, we might add shelter to that, but this was a poor culture. And by the way, a culture where hunger would have been much more prevalent than it is in most of our Western context today. He didn't tell them, hey, don't worry about how big your house is. Hey, don't worry about how big your car is or nice your car is. Don't worry about the designer label on your clothes. Don't worry about um, all the things out there that, that, that could be extra or more. Don't worry about how many followers you have on social media. Don't worry about your influence. Don't worry about your job title. Don't worry about your promotion. He says, don't worry about the very basic 
elements of life. Food, drink, and clothing. And then he says, why we don't worry about it? He says, because your life is more than all of that. Now, he asked that in a rhetorical question. Isn't life more than food, more than clothing? He gives an example, the birds of the sky. And the point that he's making there is that God takes care of the birds and God will take care of you. Because you are more valuable to him than the birds. And there's something in your life that is more valuable than all the stuff you have. One of the things that's happened over the last few days as many of us have been self-quarantining or we've had, we're not, our normal lives have been disrupted. For some of us in very significant ways, for some of us in not that significant ways. One of the things that happens in moments like this is you realize how extra stuff that you have in your life isn't as necessary as you thought it might be. Listen, I'm a guy, and this doesn't surprise you if you've been around First Baptist, that would watch sports almost every night. When family would go to bed, I'd find the latest game on, and I'd throw it on, and I'd watch it. And I thought last night, as I sat down, I was thinking about uh, looking over my sermon notes and making sure everything was kind of good for today and praying over that. I thought normally I would sit down and watch a sports, and I hadn't even thought about that in about three or four days. It's just extra now. I'm sure when it comes back, whatever that may be, that, that I, I, like most of us, will turn them on and watch them. But you realize how unimportant things are in your life that you sometimes place as important. Jesus says that our lives are about more than anything this world can offer. The basic idea behind it is that our life is about trusting the God that eternally values us. Trusting the God that eternally values you. He says, the birds don't worry about where their meal's coming from. They work at it, they search for it, but they're not sitting around trying to figure out what's going on. They're not planning, they're not worrying, they're not figuring out what time the toilet paper is going to get delivered to Publix or when the eggs might be available, or when the fewest people will be there that I might be able to grab a gallon of milk. They're not watching Fox News. They're not watching CNN. They're not worrying about what's on Twitter about the COVID-19 virus. They are trusting by just doing what they always do, which is going about their business, trusting God's going to provide. And he calls us to do the same. That doesn't mean we're not proactive. That doesn't mean that we say, oh, I'm not altering my life at all. It means that we have proper concern, but we don't have worry. We're not fretting over it. We're not always thinking about it. I would advise you sometime this week, supposed to warm up this week, maybe nice day or two, just go outside and watch the birds. Watch them fly around. Watch them in your trees watch them as they're gathering stuff and in the moment of watching the birds that moment of bird watching let it be a reminder to you that god is going to take care of you because he values you more than the animals we talked about this a few weeks ago that you are created as a human being in the image of god you are a special creation in his eyes and because of that 
you can trust that he's going to take care of you. Now, the second thing that Jesus reminds us in this passage about worry is not just that um, our lives are about more than this world has to offer, but secondly, he reminds us that worry is useless. It does absolutely nothing for us. I read a statistic one time. Rick Warren, a pastor out in California, used to put this statistic out that he had read in some medical journals that the things that we worry about, about 85% of what we worry will happen doesn't happen. And about 10% of the leftover is stuff we can't control anyways. He said, so 95 to 97% of the things you worry about are things that aren't going to happen or you can't control. And that leaves 3% to be concerned about and to do something about when you can. Thinking about it, worrying about it is useless the way that jesus says it in here is said how many of you by worrying by fretting by being anxious how many of you can add a single moment to your life in the original language that could have even been interpreted could even add a single inch to your height but the idea is that we can't accomplish anything by worrying. It doesn't bring us more success. It doesn't bring us uh, better health. It doesn't help our lives be extended. That worrying doesn't do that for us. We also see in this passage that worry is unnecessary. It tells us right there in chapter 6 that God already knows what we need. We know that God is able to fulfill all of our needs. We know that God cares about us, that God is good. And so we just don't worry because God will take care of us. Now again, that doesn't mean in a moment like we're in, we don't take proper precautions and have concern. There's some of you that um, were able to attend worship for the first time in a long time because you are homebound or shut in or you're not able to get out or you have a medical condition that prevents that. And you are wise to do the things that the doctors have recommended and those have recommended about social distancing and home self-quarantining. All of us are wise to practice good behavior in that way. But we don't worry and fret and allow it to take over our emotions and control us. Because it's useless. Jesus also says that worry is something that unbelievers do. Now the way he phrases this is the Gentiles go after those things. The Gentiles worry about that. And his point is simply this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ... You are a child of the King who rules all. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a child of the King. He will take care of you. Let me just speak for a moment. Maybe you're watching today. Maybe you were scrolling through Facebook and I'm one of your friends or one of your friends shared this. Or for whatever reason it popped up and you stopped to watch for a moment. Maybe somebody shared it and you're watching it. Maybe it's... Live or later. Perhaps you're watching this and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not a believer. Maybe you went to church as a child or maybe your family didn't ever go to church. Maybe you walked away from that. You just couldn't get your grips around. You couldn't think about it or something happened in the church and and it was a terrible situation. And you said, I can't be a part of something like that. 
Can I just say to you today that in moments like we are experiencing during this pandemic, it's often true that God can use those moments to wake us up a little bit, to make us a little more responsive, to make us a little more aware. Maybe you're watching this today, you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know that I have a relationship with God. I don't know that if something were to happen to me tomorrow, that I would be okay when it comes to the Lord. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ's salvation, that He died for you on the cross, that He rose again from the grave. When I would just say to you that this passage I'm talking about, that we're not worrying, they're not fretting, they're not being anxious, that is for people that have the assurance that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior and we can depend on Him. And if you are out there, and you don't have that assurance, you don't have that security that comes from Christ, then I'm going to encourage you to, to, to get in touch with us. And you can, you can ask the Lord right now. You don't have to go through me. Uh, I, I'm not your direct conduit. Uh, our church is not. We'd love to help you to figure that out if you need help figuring that out. But you can go directly to the Lord and say, Lord, I realize that I have never accepted the free gift of salvation that you've given me. And today... I want to do that. We realize that we are all people that are sinful, that we have walked away from the Lord, that we have done things that are not pleasing in His sight. The Scripture says that He provided a way for us. Last night, as our family was gathered, we watched a movie together. We've watched a few movies together. It's hard to get all six of us in a room and pick a movie that is uh, good for all of us. Last night we sat down and Eli actually suggested, hey, let's watch The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I'm always up for C.S. Lewis. So I was like, absolutely. We watched it together. And that scene in the midst of that, if you've not watched it and find it during this time and watch it or watch it again, it's a beautiful retelling, really, of parts of the Christian story. And Aslan, the Christ figure in there, the lion, has a moment where the witch and the bad character has a claim on the life of one of the children that have come over because of sin because they made a mistake and aslan and the witch talk and he comes out and he says she has taken away her claim on him and she says but live up to your promise he says i will and that night as everyone's in bed aslan goes there followed by a couple of children While he's there, the witch takes the life of the lion. And she says to him in a prophetic way, Did you think giving your life for his would save him? Now, not to spoil the story, but Aslan returns, resurrected, and leads them into victory. But at the end of that, there's this interesting moment where the kids are made into kings and queens. And when it's that young man, Edmund, who is the one that he paid the penalty for his sin with his own life, that Edmund is crowned as king, he says, and he gives each of them a name, Peter the Magnificent, Lucy the Valiant, and Susan the Gentle. Then he puts the crown on Edmund's head and he says, Edmund the Just, the right one, the one that is completely whole. And in that moment, I thought about the reality 
That if you're listening, if you're watching, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never given your life to Him. We don't have anything special that you didn't have except that Jesus has died for our sins and we've accepted that. And so if you'd be interested or want to know or need to know more about that, then you can leave a comment on the live stream. You can message the church here or you can look me up, Lyle Larson on Facebook, and you can message me. Better yet, just send me an email at pastor at fbcgillitsville.com. As you navigate these next few days, the reality is that we can only believe in Jesus' protection and provision for us because He has provided that in the past and we have accepted His forgiveness. Jesus says you don't have to worry. It's useless. It's unnecessary. It's for people that don't have a relationship with me. And then He gives the antidote. And this comes in chapter 6, verse 33, for the way that we ought to be able to handle the worry in our lives. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture. It comes right in the middle of worry. And it is the antidote. It is the, the vaccination for worry. It is the cure for worry. And that is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It goes back to what He had said to them at the very beginning of this section. That you don't store up treasures for yourself here where things can take it away. Where rust and people can steal it and it can be destroyed. You store up yourself treasures in heaven where it can't be taken away. Where it can't be done away with. That you seek first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness. That a first place of priority in your life is seeking the Lord. I read this week about J.C. Penney, the uh, guy that founded the department store. Back when the stock market crashed, J.C. Penney lost almost everything he had. And the anxiety of that moment wrecked him to the point that he could not sleep and he became physically ill and he ended up in the hospital. And as he ended up in the hospital, he laid there one night just completely overwhelmed. And he actually thought as that night began that he would not make it through the night. He slept fitfully throughout the night. And he says, I remember when the sun came up that I thought, I can't believe it, I made another day. He said, I just couldn't sit in the bed anymore. And so he got up to walk the halls of the hospital for a moment. And as he walked the halls of the hospital, he heard some singing coming. And he walked down the hall. And there in the chapel of the hospital was a group of people. And they will say, they were singing, God will take care of you. In every way. On every day. J.C. Penney said, in that moment, it was like a light shone on my face. And I realized that what I had been missing was a relationship with the Lord and trusting Him. He was a changed man. He ended up coming back to full health. His fortunes were restored. But he said the goal of his life from that moment forward was not building a great department store. It was serving the God who took care of him. When I read this this week about seeking the kingdom, the next question I ask is, well, what does that look like? 
And there's a story and a verse that's been kind of echoing through my mind over the last few days. It started actually two or three weeks ago when my daughter Ava would come up to me and say this verse to me again and again. It's become her favorite verse. She memorized it and so she can say it to us. She was just kind of saying it again and again and again. And it comes out of the life of Solomon, which we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And Jesus even mentions Solomon when he's saying this about the lilies of the field are adorned better than Solomon. But it comes right after the temple dedication. It comes when Solomon is praying to the Lord. And Solomon's response from the Lord, the Lord says, I've heard your prayer. I will make this a place where people can worship. But then he says this in Second Chronicles 7.13. If I shut the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people and my people who bear my name, humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place. What God says to Solomon is, if there is drought or if there is pestilence, if there is disease in your land, then perhaps that can be used as a wake-up call to my people. I couldn't help but think this week as I talked about or thought about seeking the kingdom of God, as I thought about the life of Solomon, when Solomon at this point had not gone completely off track. And God says to him, but when the problems come, when difficulties happen, when things don't go your way, when there is a pandemic in your land, my people, if my people will seek me, will put me first, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their evil ways and seek my face with all that they have, then I will hear from heaven. And I will heal their land. Now again, I don't have a prophetic word. Just like Jeff said last week, I don't have a prophetic word that this is the judgment of God on our world or our nation. But I do know this. It can serve as a wake-up call for us. As if God is using it to get our attention. Last night um, in our house... Um, just like many of you, we've been trying to think of creative ways to do things and different things to happen. And we were trying to go to sleep last night. And as much as I tried to go to sleep, um, we have a cat now. Some of you that know me from the past, that's not my idea of a, a great thing to have a cat. But we have a cat now. My my daughter, um, my daughter and uh, my daughters and my wife found a cat that was abandoned um, right after my daughter had been praying for a cat and felt like God had given her the cat. And so we we got the cat. We've had the cat now for a while, and for the most part, the cat is, is, is good. I, I don't bother the cat. The cat doesn't bother me. That's the way it works. Last night, I'm sitting in the recliner looking over sermon stuff, and I kind of nod off a little bit, and the cat gets into the windowsill and starts hitting the blinds and making them go back and forth. And I just say, like, get down. Like, you know, you're disturbing me. And so I get up and I go to bed. The cat comes into where I'm trying to go to sleep, right when I get to sleep, jumps on me, looks right in my face, and meows as loudly as he possibly could. I'm like, get off of me. He goes and stands in the middle of the hallway, starts meowing loudly. Ava, who is 
uh, asleep, opens her door because the cat has awakened her. Uh, he has awakened the boys downstairs. At one point, the boys put the cat in the garage. That didn't work. It started doing louder. And so we can't figure out what's going on. Well, finally, the cat stops doing anything, and I'm, I'm asleep. I'm like, great, that's awesome. And so this morning, I say to Susan, man, that cat, man, well, it was crazy last night. She said, you know what it wanted? I said, no. I said, we yesterday, in our attempt to be um, a good family activity, we're doing the Larson Family Olympics. And as part of that, we did putt-putt golf with a ping-pong ball into a cardboard box, and I set up three holes around the house, one of which went down the steps and ended at the laundry room where I had shut the laundry room door. Inside the laundry room door is the litter box. And we had left the door closed all that time. And the cat was just saying, bad news is coming if you don't open the door. It's going to be strange to move from a cat to God here. But God uses moments like this to shake the blinds and to jump on our chest and get in our face and be a nuisance and a reminder that we need to turn back to Him. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Now, that doesn't guarantee, in this case, that the pandemic will be gone. But what it does guarantee, according to Matthew six thirty three, that when we seek God with all that we have, that the anxiety of our lives, and we can live in the promise of him. One other thing about that little phrase, seek first the kingdom of God, and then we're done. That phrase doesn't mean just seek God. In fact, in the book of Matthew that uses the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven more than any other of the Gospels. What is intended there is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, represents the rule and reign of Christ expanding throughout the entire earth. And so what Jesus says is the focus of our lives is not just our relationship with God, although that is an important part of what we're doing, but that our entire focus of our life is to be how do we see the rule and reign of Jesus Christ extend through the whole earth. And just because you're self-quarantined, just because you're social distancing, doesn't mean that your purpose of expanding the kingdom of God has gone away. Seek first the kingdom of God. And here's what I know and what I believe. God is going to do some amazing things in the midst of these terrible circumstances. I read a story today about a pastor of a house church in Wuhan, China, that has said over the last four months, the number of people they have meeting with them, the number of times they have spent in prayer and devotion and Bible study has increased exponentially in light of what's happening with the virus. God would love to take a very difficult situation and turn it in to a miraculous victory for him. And he will.
if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways. Seek first the kingdom of God. My challenge to you is, during this week, that we have no idea what the week ahead looks like. And we can say that from week to week. Hey, we don't know what this week's going to have. But we have no idea what the numbers are going to say, what the orders are going to come from our state or from our nation, or whether things are going to relax, which is unlikely, or get harsher, which probably happens. My challenge to you this week is to, first of all, remember that our life is about so much more than anything that's here. Secondly, to not worry because worry is useless. And third, to figure out a way that you can focus you and your family's attention on Christ, on God, but also on expanding the kingdom. Check on some neighbors to see how they're doing spiritually and emotionally, physically. Call them. Zoom, FaceTime. Check in on people that are needy and in need of Christ. Continue to think about how to be a great neighbor to the people around you, even in social distancing. And if you're watching and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. If you're watching and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I just want to say to you that you can do that right now, right where you are. It simply means in your heart admitting that you're somebody that has done stuff that is not pleasing to God. It means believing that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin on the cross, rose again from the grave, and all you have to do is accept Him as your Savior and Lord. Confess your sins. Say, I'm walking away from that, and I'm committing my life to you. I'd love for you to do that today if you've never done it. Response is obviously going to be different. Tim and Andrew are going to come back up and they're going to sing a song of reflection. And then doing that, I'm going to ask you to reflect and think about what God's calling you to do. And then I want you to respond. I want you to think of a way to respond. First of all, I want you to respond by, uh, if you can, if you want to, if you feel comfortable, writing something in the comments here. Hey, this is what the Lord's calling me to do. It's accountability. Maybe that is your life group that isn't able to meet physically together, that you're going to email your life group or your life group teacher and say, this is something God's calling me to do. You can message us through Facebook. You can email us. Again, my email is pastor at fbcgoodlessville.com. Just let us know what it is that God is doing in your life, what God is calling you to respond to. I'm going to pray for us, then Tim Andrew is going to come lead us, and I'll be back in just a moment to give you some closing thoughts and a last-minute announcement. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reality that you are God, that you are in complete control, and that you are a God who will take care of us, who will love us unconditionally. And Lord, we pray that today that you will remind us of what it looks like in our lives to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. Lord, and you would not let us be anxious or worried in the wrong way. Lord, that we would be concerned, but not worried. Lord, I do pray that if there are those listening, watching, that have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that today would be the day that you would make them uncomfortable 
It makes them realize their need for you. And they would be willing to simply say yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.